Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. The UK's only All Things Union podcast, designed for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation. In this special episode, we look at the Deliveroo GMB deal, a triumph of negotiation or a cynical PR ploy. We talk to the lead negotiators from both sides to get to the heart of the matter. Oh, hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to this special edition of Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. My name's Simon Sapper, and in this special episode, we'll be looking at the deal struck between the GMB and Deliveroo and talking to the lead negotiators for both organisations. Now, this has been, admittedly, a bit of a shock and awe situation. I mean, we're talking about Deliveroo. Deliveroo! Deliveroo! Self-employment aficionados, bracketed with Uber and Hermes and Pimlico plumbers in the pantheon of the exploitative, one-sided flexibility, denial of workers' rights. And the GMB? Well, this really could be extraordinary. Unlike Uber and Hermes, there's no court case or litigation-orientated campaign. There's been no discernible organising push by the union. But there has been quite sustained activity on the ground from the non-TUC-affiliated IWGB. So, alongside all the awe stuff, with admiration and endorsement from the TUC and Labour front bench, the shock has been expressed by IWGB, who have called out the deal as, and I quote, a hollow and cynical PR move. And it's true in the sense that this voluntary agreement between Deliveroo and GMB legally prevents the IWGB from securing a recognition agreement. So who is right? Is this a remarkable negotiating coup or just a sharp move to take IWGB out of the game? I sat down with the lead negotiators for GMB and Deliveroo, Mick Ricks and Joe Carberry, respectively, to get beyond the headlines and under the bonnet of this highly significant deal. Joe, Mick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for for joining us. Deliveroo historically have been regarded as one of the staunchest advocates of a particular, a particular type of kind of operating model that doesn't involve engagement with trade unions. So what's changed? Well, firstly, thanks very much for having us on the podcast. I suppose I would say nothing's changed. We've always had the view that our riders are self-employed and we offer self-employment because that gives riders a degree of flexibility that we know is incredibly popular and valued by the vast majority of riders. But alongside that, we've wanted to offer riders security. So we're amongst the first platforms to offer riders free insurance. We offer riders skills training and online learning opportunities. So we've always said that flexibility comes first, but we want to make sure riders are protected at the same time. Now, in our view, working with a trade union like the GMB to make sure that riders can have representation and that we can work with the GMB on our overall proposition to riders to increase the benefits that we offer them, for example, is perfectly in keeping with 
the position that we've always held. And actually, we think that if we're going to continue scaling as a business, we work with about 100,000 riders at the moment, we have to have the most attractive offer to them. And making sure they have flexibility, security and representation is exactly what we're after. Mick, would you share that view? I mean, I've, I've heard other plat- web-based platform organisations described as starting off as kind of insurgents, disruptors in the market, and then as they become more established, they become part of the furniture and they, their behaviour changes. Mick, do you, is, that, is that what's happened here, do you think, or not? I, th- I think there is no doubt that there are some companies who use platform technology have potentially wanted the poster boy title of a disruptor, you know, that they are casting all before them. We've never considered Deliveroo in that space. We, we've always sort of considered Deliveroo as a company, as perhaps one of the top quartile brands within the UK that actually does try to do certain things. So there may be people that may say that Deliveroo is as exploitative as uh, other companies, But that's one of the reasons why we've consistently argued that Deliveroo should unionise and allow an independent trade union to be the voice of the workplace. Because that is how a company actually really does see the value of A, working together, but also trying to do the right thing for people that provide services. So yes, they do have a particular model in the way that they uh, operate. That's the model that suits them as a, as a company. Most of our members who talk to us have never argued about that model. What they argue about is, and one of the things that they've always said that they want is, why can't self-employed people have the same rights as employed people? And, and I think that is now an argument that's coming to the fore, that nobody's arguing about whether they are self-employed, whether they are worker status, or whether they are employed, what really riders are arguing with us is they want better benefits and, and they want more security. And and hopefully working together with Deliveroo and being that voice of the riders, that we can start to pursue those type of issues that really makes work uh, worthwhile for Deliveroo and, and where people actually are taken seriously that they're doing a job that is uh, that, that is worthy. And I suppose just to come in on that, I think, you know, you sort of describe Deliveroo as a disruptor and I think we would describe ourselves as, as, as an innovator. And I think there is something quite innovative about this yeah. agreement. It's not so much Deliveroo and the GMB trying to come up with a traditional mm-hmm. agreement between a company and a union. It's a different type of agreement. It's a voluntary agreement. It confirms self-employed status and it tries to take union representation and make that compatible with the gig economy as as we understand it. And that's something that other platforms haven't done. I I mean, I would agree. I would agree. This is an innovative deal for for sure. And we'll come on to talk about it a bit more. But just so listeners are absolutely clear on this, the one thing that is is not touched by this is the fact that delivery riders and drivers are self-employed remain self-employed this is not about the employment status unlike the campaigns uh, that the gmb has run making hasn't it in, in uber and in pimlico yeah. plumbers and, place, and places like that I, I think it's fair to say that gmb has always recognized true self-employment where true self-employment exists and uh, 
shall we say, we're quite well versed in employment law. And we, we looked at a Deliveroo around about five years ago from an employment law angle. And, and our advice, which was very clear advice from people that were running cases on our behalf against Uber and other companies, that actually Deliveroo's model is truly self-employed because they have always allowed the unfettered right to substitution, which is a, a, a right of self-employed people. So we've never looked at it any differently uh, around that. What our argument has always been is that trade unions and companies working together bring good benefits for working people and they allow workers to have a voice. And that is one of the key ingredients that we believe was missing. What was the route then to, to, to this agreement? I understand that these are, these are points of principle. We've sort of out, outlined the, the, you know, the, the, the perimeter of the pitch, as it were. What's, yeah. the, what's the detail in, in the middle? I suppose part, part of me, Joe, wants to say that, that when Deliveroo appoints someone like you with a, with a long record of employment at a very senior level in, in the Labour Party, that, that actually this sort of development is almost inevitable. Um, but but how, did, how did you move from kind of sharing similar principles to actually getting the deal? Who wants to go first on that um, one? Yeah, you go. Well, well, we sort of reached out. You know, there was a person that was working for Deliveroo a few years ago, doesn't work for Deliveroo any, anymore. I think it was noticeable that some of the things that we were saying in public was, shall we say, different to what perhaps other organisations were saying, because we've always been committed around the similar principles. We've never been a trade union that just sits on the sidelines, yabooing everything and protesting about everything. We know we have to act like a trade union, and that is sometimes you have to roll your sleeves up, get your fingernails dirty and negotiate with the employer. That's what it's really all about, doing what the bread and butter of a trade union is about. And we felt because of some of the statements that we saw Deliveroo making, that actually we felt this is potentially a company where people can do business with in the right way. And and conversations started from there, really. Uh, and presumably when the call came, you got a, a, at least a, a warm response, if not an overwhelming, gushing one. <laughs> well, uh, you know... You'd, you'd be surprised uh, trade unions like GMB and other trade unions that are affiliated to the TUC and are seen as, uh, you know, the bastions of the trade union movement in the UK. We, we get many calls from many people. Uh, sometimes you do wonder, are those calls serious? We know that actually there was a chance of a really good conversation, building up some trust, and then, you, you know, you take it from there. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not just the people that are around the negotiating table trying to do uh, an agreement that seals it. There's lots of other people. Firstly, you know, there's a board within the company. And, of course, there are other constituents within GMB Union that have to be satisfied that we're all doing the right thing. And I, and I think we we handled that correctly. We didn't disrespect anybody internally in our organisations. We held the conversations correctly with people. We all jointly sought advice. And we thought if we can handle this correctly and do the right things, which is about the riders at the end of the day, 
then actually this deal will stand the test of time. Joe, was it was it a hard sell on your side of the table? Um, at times, before I took this job, partly because of my long-standing employment at the Labour Party, I sort of thought long and hard whether this was the right thing to do and did question the rider model. I had a long conversation with the CEO, Will Shue, who was very clear to me that he didn't really care about rider status. He cared about riders. He he had been a rider for a long time. He understood that they liked flexibility. He understood that that worked for them. It also works well for the business. But he said very clearly, that in of itself isn't enough. We need to make sure they are properly protected. He didn't know exactly what that should look like, knew that the company needed to do more and said, you know, do you want to come and work with us to try and help achieve that? And I was completely convinced by his sincerity and that's part of the reason why I took the job and you know we sort of have that outlook as a company I had quite long conversations with Mick about the model and where we wanted to sort of end up and sort of realized that at a high level we sort of shared a vision for what the destination should be and then of course we had to get wider teams involved to have more detailed discussions and bring everyone with us but the fact that we had detailed discussions, I think gave everyone on our side at least a lot of confidence that this was properly thought through and we had a, an agreement that does have some depth and meaning and will make a difference to riders, while, as, as you point out, protects the, the core of the model. Well, sir, I mean, anyone who's, who's gone anywhere near this as a, as a trade union negotiator knows that a voluntary recognition deal is a, is a valuable jewel if you can if you can manage to get to get there but Mick to what extent is this a, an illustration of what some people might call kind of like top-down organizing I mean would, would the GMB have crossed some sort of threshold for for statutory recognition anyway in the foreseeable future uh maybe we, we have very organized in the food manufacturing and other food distribution areas uh, as a trade union so we have many thousands of members we started to discover that because of multi-platform working so we started to discover a number of years ago and especially during the pandemic that people who may have been shown in our membership records as being identified with another company were also actually identified when we did some research and some surveys, they were also delivering for Deliveroo, along with other food distribution companies as well. So statutory recognition, well, let's be honest, I've heard people making these claims that all, all riders are in a particular union and things like that. Well, if one makes a cursory glance at the records that are held with the certification officer, that would technically mean that that organisation would have over 50,000 members. And uh, it's a nonsense. I mean, the fact of the matter is, we held serious conversations. We we knew what we wanted from our side. And, and basically, what people need to understand, we have now, as a trade union, got three major agreements with three very large companies in their own particular markets that are considered to be in the gig uh, platform economy. That covers over 200,000 people. Yes, our membership is growing. And of course, we have to put in an enormous amount of time with the organizing exercises to persuade people to deal with that. So this isn't top-down organizing. This is a deliberate strategy that we formed 
after we analysed where the economy was going around about 2012, 2014, there were some of us uh, from GMB that were tasked to examine where the economy were, was potentially going, what hits we would suffer as a trade union as certain parts of the economy shrink, especially manufacturing and places like that. And we came up with a strategy around this. And of course, you know, we've ran with the mantra for a, a long time that the gig economy doesn't have to be the Wild West for workers' rights. It can be a force of good if people uh, look at it in a, in a serious way. And, and of course, we've developed policies around that. But people who just examine looking at labor laws and court actions and things like that, you know, it still doesn't negate from the fact that actually, if you put all that to one side, it still needs both parties to sit down and talk to each other. And that is what makes companies successful and it's what makes trade unions successful, that you can have good, honest, open dialogue and, and work a way forward. So, I mean, is it, Joe, is, is, it, is it fair to say that this deal is as much about the modern world of work as it is looking after riders, organising and servicing, servicing members? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is based on a recognition that the labour market's changing. And if you consider that Deliveroo currently works with about 100,000 riders in the UK, the fleet grew during the pandemic, mm -hmm. when, particularly when retail and hospitality closed and consumer demand for delivery went up, we got more riders. A lot of those riders have remained working with us as the economy's opened up again. And now you have a situation where there are more job vacancies than unemployed people, and yet we get about 10,000 people applying to be delivery riders every week. A week? Yeah. So wow. the demand for people to do this type of work is enormous. You know, people are really voting with their feet. There is something that is very attractive about the flexibility of self-employed work. And I think what the GMB have shown is they recognise that. They recognise that people are making a positive choice, which isn't often the caricature of people in the gig economy, people making a positive choice to do this type of work. And therefore, the question becomes, if you accept that, how do you make it fairer? How do you give them representation in that context? And that's what we've tried to achieve. In, indeed, and I I'm, I'm, can't help but reflect, Mick, that for years and years and years, we've had the debate in the trade union movement about how do you organise the self-employed? Bang. One recognition agreement, and, and you've got an in to best part of 100,000 self-employed people. That's right. And, and, and this is what people need to seriously look at. I, I wrote a paper for the TUC last year. And it was trying to encourage people that you've got to put certain things to, to one side. There are nearly 6 million trade unionists in this country. And not many trade unions articulate with their members that they will come into contact on a daily basis with non-trade unionists. And yet, they could be the biggest selling point for people. So we, we estimate that somebody that's working in the gig uh, platform sector, at least one of those people each day may come into contact with three to five people who are in an organized trade union. And not one of them say, not one of those organized trade unions say, look, you should be in a trade union. You, you, you should be, you know, having some protection and you should be having a voice. And most companies that recognize trade unions also recognize the value of trade unions in that 
the phrase critical friends sometimes can take place. But most companies that I've worked with absolutely understand that working people that are organized and that have a knowledge about the business that they are working in help that company see change more than what some companies do when they force change uh, on people without without talking to people. So, you know, there, there is a real balance here and a real worth about what both good organizations can bring to both the riders, but also the markets that these companies are working in. There have been some criticism. There, there was some criticism of the of the deal when it was f- first announced on social media and other places. Um, and you can see that that actually, if there are other representative organisations, IWGB is the, the obvious one, who have been working away in Deliveroo for, for, for some time, to be eclipsed by the voluntary recognition, uh, a voluntary recognition a- agreement. You can understand why feathers are ruffled, if if you like, but. But the fundamental kind of criticism is is that actually this won't really alter things on the ground. Do they have a point or do they miss the point? It's worth maybe just putting the criticism into context. I mean, it, this was a, an agreement that was welcomed by the TUC, by the Labour Party and the majority of the front bench. So I think some noises off on Twitter from the IWGB were sort of pretty minor in the grand scheme of things and the commentary that came out on the day in response to the announcement. So the IWGB have been running one campaign for a long time, which is that riders should be employed. If riders were employed, they would work in a fundamentally different way to the way they do now. Now, at the moment, a rider can choose for themselves how long they work for, when to log on, when to log off. They have no obligation ever to do any work. They can reject any order they want. They can work with multiple platforms at the same time. If they're employed, essentially all of that control that an individual has to determine their own working patterns, that moves to the company. The company tells the rider, this is your shift. These are the deliveries that you have to do per hour this is how much you're going to get paid per hour and you have to work exclusively with the company now we know that that's not how riders want to work and one of the reasons why we don't work with the IWGB is that they have this campaign that is fundamentally at odds with what we know to be riders priority and in riders interests and so given the GMB came to the table saying you know we accept that riders are legitimately self-employed we see value in that model we could have a constructive relationship with them and that's not been possible with some of the other actors in this space Mm, okay so i mean one of the issues that you you spoke about people wanting to work on on a number on a variety of platforms at the same time and of course that's quite commonplace amongst workers who look to web-based platforms for for their for their earnings but but nevertheless it's not often a question of choice is it because they need to work through multiple platforms in order to earn enough to kind of keep a roof over their head and this agreement this agreement kind of doesn't doesn't touch that i mean do either of you have views about how the gig sector as a whole needs to be reformed in order to to meet that or is it an impossible dream from a, from a regulatory point of view i think there is resistance in the uk i think uh, people would look at markets regulating themselves in this field and i think at some stage our view of a trade union is that things will have to change 
We worked on a number of things that is now being looked at within the EU, which we no longer have access to around, around these areas. Now, do we have a, a preference for one type of model or another? Well, we've started to look differently at, at this. For too long, our movement sometimes polarizes itself around to have all these rights, you have to be employed. Our argument has fundamentally changed over a number of years because actually, whether I as an individual or not look at some of these issues in a different way, I have to listen to what our members are actually saying. And you know, there are people that are talking on behalf of themselves, not actually on behalf of groups of workers. And I've never been one that actually publicly will go into outward and open criticism about other worker organisations. I've always believed in worker unity, not worker disunity. And it's not the first time that this so-called organisation who's supposed to represent workers or claims it represents workers has gone publicly out to attack a trade union in public for doing what we were founded to do. Now, you know, when people talk about radicalism, my trade union was formed in 1889 by Will Thorne and Eleanor Marx. And Eleanor Marx's name will ring true in certain circles. You know, our trade union does not need a history lesson on radicalism. It was the cradle and the birthplace of new unionism. So we are well versed in doing what we've been doing for 130 years. And that is trying to represent working people and trying to articulate on behalf of working people. So the, the real issue is, yes, there's a great conversation amongst lawyers. There's a great conversation in the courts. What we've decided to do as a trade union, until the politicians and that catch up with what we're doing, we are really uh, focused on doing the best that we can for working people in, in very difficult circumstances and in different types of areas where people are employed and trying to articulate what the concerns of those riders are and those workers are within that particular area. And I think, you know, what people need to understand Prior to the Second World War, you know, there, was, uh, there wasn't very many employment rights. If, if any, there was very few tracts of legislation. The only employment rights people had was what trade unions negotiated with companies. Now, I'm not advocating going back to that model, but I have to say to some people sometimes that when you are in these areas, these are not the conversations that are on the tips of working people's tongues, basically, at the end of the day. What's on their tips of their tongues is they went through the pandemic. They saw our self-employed people had very few rights in this country. And what we're trying to articulate and what we're trying to deal with with a company by having a relationship, how can we make work more secure for these people? How can we make the work more attractive? And, and at the end of the day, you know, by saying to people, look, they, they, these are very worthwhile jobs that are, are considered a, necess a necessity in, in society. And so we believe that people should be rewarded. So the last thing that people are talking about as self-employed people is about status. What they're actually talking about is they believe that they've been left behind when it comes to rights. And these are some of the things that we're arguing with uh, 
with like the Labour Party and with colleagues in the trade union movement that we need to refocus here. We've always been on the side of employment law around the gig economy being updated and have said for a long time that one of the flaws as we see it is if a platform were to offer certain benefits to a self-employed worker, that can be taken as an indicator of employment status. So if Deliveroo, for example, were to come out tomorrow and say all riders can have access to a pension, it's more likely that a court might classify riders as employees if challenged because a pension is something traditionally associated with an employer-employee relationship. Now, we've said actually that shouldn't be the case because it provides a disincentive for platforms to offer more benefits to self-employed people. So I think clarifying some of the tests about what is and isn't a legitimate self-employed platform worker, which is actually something the EU are talking about, is the right direction of travel and removing that disincentive for platforms to offer self-employed workers benefits. So that's something we've been advocating to the Labour Party and to Mm -hmm. others for for quite some time and hopefully we'll work with the GMB on. I mean, mean, there is another important point to this and in the movement, there is this two-status argument. And a couple of us within GMP have been thinking about this argument for quite some time because it becomes a very black and white, a very polarised argument. That if you have the two-status model, you're either employed or you're self-employed. Actually, we do have a third way in the UK that was brought about in 1996, which, funny enough, trade unions only started taking advantage of 30-odd years later, and we were the first trade union to actually take advantage of the worker status. Now, the worker status actually gives people certain rights, but do you know something? They're still self-employed. So they are self-employed people with rights. Now, these are some of the arguments that people would need to look at, and I'm not advocating one model or the two-status model. What, what basically we're advocating is that we're just going to do the job as a trade union, negotiate with an employer. But I do think people need to think clearly about this because there are people that are advocating the two-status model and yet there are over 100,000 people that have now been given worker status rights in the UK. So what they're going to be replaced with because the status model, if that was removed, would class them as self-employed. So they would lose rights and they would lose benefits. Now, I've argued in the mo- uh, in the movement, that's not what we're about. Uh, what we're about is advancing people. So I think it's incumbent on people that when they're looking at these issues, that they should be taking certain things into account. And there are, there are different examples in different countries. So we've got an agreement with Deliveroo that covers purely self-employed people. Now, in the, in the United States, they're not allowed to do that because it would be classed as uh, uh, being in breach of the antitrust regulations as self-employed contractors coming together. It'd be classed as a cartel. So there are many different things that people are having to, to wade through treacle. And that's why one of the things that we've put forward is rather than expensive courts deciding what the status is and what the issue is, that actually we have some mechanisms within government in the UK, potentially the government could instruct HMRC as the custodians of looking at whether people are are in line with this. Do I think that would change Deliveroo's model? No, I don't. Because one of the tenants of being truly self-employed 
is that people have the unfettered right to substitution. Now, that's what Deliveroo allow. And there is great testimony that actually says, this is what Deliveroo do. We've talked to our members that provides those services for, for Deliveroo. And they, yes, they substitute their work sometimes. So from a legal point of view, you know, sometimes you've got to put these things to one side. And what we're just going to do is concentrate on making the lot of the rider better. And the reason why, because they'll be part of a trade union agreement. If we roll the dice, if you like, forward by a year or so, what do you think the relationship will look like? What are your hopes for, for the way the relationship will develop? And, and what impact do you think the relationship will have had in both the trade union movement and in the gig economy sector? Well, I think from our point of view, we, we would like to see other people operating in the food delivery space do the same thing. I think it sets a, it's a very positive blueprint that other companies should follow. From a Deliveroo point of view, I mean, we talked about this quite a lot, is we're, we're two very different organisations with two very different cultures. You know, one publicly listed company focused on business performance, shareholder returns, the other long-standing history of being a campaigning organisation. And now there isn't an existing muscle memory. There, there are no processes or structures in place for these two organisations to work together through consultation and collective bargaining. And we are now going to go through the process of setting those up. And I hope that in a year's time, if you were to go and ask someone in Deliveroo or the GMB, do you see value in this agreement? And do you see value in what that other organisation does on a day-to-day basis? They would say yes. So I hope there is a sort of cultural coming together between the two parties. And I don't want to preempt what we discuss on consultation but there are some very specific issues like rider skills training is one that's high on our agenda we know that for a lot of people that come and work with delivery it's their first experience of the labor market we would like to be able to offer them the ability to learn new skills as they work with us so they could go into other professions afterwards we know the gmb have a history of providing that sort of training so we want to work with them on that so i think there are some quite concrete things that we know we want to offer riders and want to work with the GMB who can advise us on how we should structure that, who the best providers are, et cetera, et cetera. So, and to the point you made earlier, this was never about kind of revolutionizing the way that delivery riders work on day one after the agreement signed. It's about putting in place a relationship and a structure that's going to deliver benefits and improve the working model over time. I, I sometimes think looking back in a year is it's a decent measure, but it's not a really good measure. I, I think people need to look at it in five years' time because I think people will have seen immeasurable change. You know, they will have seen major change in that taking place. And and for that to happen, but both of our organisations have to work very closely. People have never worked together before, so there's a trust that has to be built up. There, there is a confidence that when the company tells something in that's commercially sensitive, that that is kept confidential as well. So both both parties, through trust, build up a relationship. And you know, and as a trade union, I, I don't want to hack back to what others think, but we're not into destroying delivery. We want delivery to be as successful as possible because we would like our members to share in those benefits and, and in making the work even more secure for them and, and rewarding at the same time. 
So yes, there are some people out there that perhaps want to see the company destroyed, but we've always wanted to see companies successful. And there's a simple reason for this. You know, if we did a survey of our members tomorrow, would you like to work for a successful company or would you like to work for an unsuccessful company? 99.9% would preferably say they want to work for a successful company. And that's what it's all about. So it's in our interests to see Deliveroo as successful as possible. And in part of the other measure is as well, does this give confidence by what we are doing? Does this give confidence to other companies in the gig platform economy who want reasonable dialogue, want to look at how they can do things? Because I've always recognized there are a number of companies out there that do not want to be painted in this corner that they are the architects of exploitation. They don't want to be painted as though they've gone back to Victorian values. So does this give confidence in other companies as well to say, look, you know, we can do things differently and we can give people a voice and we can give people rights and we can give people benefits. And more importantly, by doing that, you're doing that through the auspices of, a, of an independent trade union that is recognised both within the official trade union movement, not just in the UK, but globally as well, and, and also politically where we've got very strong political ties in, in the UK as well. So I think the confidence piece is not just only important to people within the company and within our trade union, but I think also within the new world of work that is taking place. I think that's a really important point, that, that one of the long-term impacts that we'd like to have is a change in the debate over the gig economy, that it shouldn't be employment versus sham self-employment. And platforms are this homogenous block all with the same business model that is somehow inherently negative. That You can have legitimate self-employment, that there is a value to that, people are choosing it, and that on top of that, we need to find new ways of making sure those people are protected, have representation, have fairness at work. And at the moment, too often when there's a discussion about the future of work, that's not part of it. It is this binary choice between employment and self-employment, and then there is this whole space in the middle. And I hope that disagreement and others like it can serve as an example that you don't have to have this binary choice, that you, there can be creative ways of making work fairer. Well, Joe, Mick, it's been fascinating. Thank you for being, being so candid and lucid about what I think is is a really important and innovative agreement. It's been great to spend time with your company to find out what was under the bonnet of it. Thanks Th- very much. Thank you for inviting Thank you us. Very much. Really good. Cheers. Well, my thanks to Joe and to Mick. Very lucid, very comprehensive, uh, very candid. But just to pick up on a couple of things that came up in that discussion and then to kind of draw all the threads together, give you my view on where we we stand with all this. First of all, the, the threshold for statutory recognition. Now, as most listeners will know, in the UK, there is a statutory process for union recognition. It, it's very different to say what the NLRB does in the US. It's not that straightforward, but basically, once you have a defined bargaining unit uh, and, and to get agreement on what the bargaining unit is, is a job in itself often, the union needs to have a certain percentage of staff in membership before it can oblige the employer to engage with a ballot for recognition. And if you win that, then the recognition covers only a limited range of issues. And if you lose, you're debarred from having another ballot within a particular period. The key question here, and that I pose to Mick, 
is would the GMB have crossed that threshold anytime soon? And just as pertinent, what about the IWGB? It's worth dwelling on what Mick's response to this question was, that people who work off the Deliveroo platform also work off a number of others. We'll come back to that multi-platform working uh, issue in a moment. But on the numbers, GMB is saying that they have members working off a number of platforms, and that, by implication, makes it hard to get an accurate assessment. IWGB's membership figures on the basis of the obligatory annual reports to the certification officer, seem to put them nowhere near the level required to cross the legal threshold for a recognition ballot. Then there was the unfettered right of substitution that was cited a number of times as proof that Deliveroo riders are legitimately self-employed. This this is true. This is true. What it means is that you can offload a job onto someone else or simply decline to take it. The rider or driver has a much greater level of control than, say, a conventional employee or even a worker. So there is much to support the view that these people are genuinely self-employed. And if the figure quoted by Joe of 10,000 inquiries a week for people who want to work off the delivery platform is correct, there's clearly a real appetite for this way of working. The EU-level project that Mick referred to is an attempt to agree an EU-wide definition of platform working that can then be used to determine which employment rights, if any, people are entitled to. The Platform Workers Directive is currently being considered by the European Parliament and could become legally binding throughout the EU. The key measures are first that there is a presumption that workers are employees unless it can be proved otherwise. And second, that issues that are increasingly managed by algorithm like pay and contracts will be subject to collective bargaining. (laughs) Contrast that with the UK government's continuing inability to present an employment bill to Parliament. Clearly, what happens in the EU doesn't directly affect us anymore, but it will affect the EU-based branches of firms that operate in Britain. During our discussion, there was reference to worker status. Now, this is a curious thing. Since 1996, you can be employed or self-employed or a worker. A worker has some of the rights of an employee because their self-employed status is constrained in some way. Work allocation, needing to wear corporate clothing, no right to substitution, and so on. And the victories that the GMB and others have had in the courts when it comes to Pimlico plumbers and Hermes and and Uber and so on has been to give people who were previously designated as purely self-employed to get them to to worker status and therefore entitled to some of these rights. And finally, multi-platform working. As I discussed with Joe and Mick, riders and drivers have to, have to work off many platforms in order to gather together enough in earnings to get by. Now, is that right, ethically? Shouldn't people be able to earn enough without keeping more balls in the air than a surplus juggler? That's a matter of public policy, really. And recommendations for making gig working fairer, and therefore more manageable, is just one of the things being smothered by the non-movement by the government on an employment bill. I'm clear in my view. It is bold. It is innovative. It is important. Where else do you see the best part of 100,000 of the self-employed brought under one agreement? And whilst it does eclipse IWGB's aspirations of their own recognition agreement, 
the numbers suggest that IWGB are not close to the threshold for that. More importantly, from the IWGB's perspective, there's ample scope for them to grow their membership just as there is also for the GMB. The two unions seem to me to be making very different pitches to potential members. So he pays your money and he takes your choice. Well, my thanks. My thanks to Joe. My thanks to Mick. My thanks above all to you for spending half an hour, 40 minutes or so of your valuable time in our company. It's been great to have you along. As ever, if you want to comment on any of the things that you've heard in today's episode, if you want to suggest people or things that we ought to look at in future episodes of Union Jews, please do get in touch. You can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com or you can tweet us at Jews Union. Please, if you've got something to say, don't hold back. Do join the conversation. The companion blog to this podcast is on the makesyouthink.com website. If you go over to makesyouthink.com, hit the blog's tag on the front page and you will find there a companion blog with all the background the links the signposting everything you could possibly need right there at the top of the pile union Jews is a proud member of the labor radio podcast network this is a portal through which you can access over a hundred trade union and labor related shows and podcasts and so on you can access the portal at labor radio network or one word labor radio network.org and of course there is union days the companion podcast series to union Jews, union days stories from a trade union scrapbook available from wherever you get your podcasts so just leaves me to say take care stay well i may well see you on the tuc march for a new deal for workers at the weekend on the 18th of june if not i'll look forward to our paths crossing on the next episode of union Jews. thanks for listening The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.